So, um, does it feel a bit like an epic? <laughs> uh, number four in a series of four, you'll be glad to hear. Um, just really briefly, the um, key message from our first look at Philippians chapter one was um, about the gospel. If you remember, we, we spent our first week really putting the whole thing into context, recognizing that the theme of uh, Philippians is joy, or one of them, but certainly a dominant theme is joy. Uh, we were thinking of Paul's, um, the context in which Paul wrote it, from prison in Rome, probably house arrest, maybe two and a half years uh, in that situation. Um, five years since he last saw the Philippians, ten years since he first met them, which is when the church established and he introduces his letter with a very um, clear theme of joy woven, sorry, of um, the gospel woven through it. And our key message is God wants the gospel to be very prominent in my life and in the interests and activities of a church of God. And we were uh, getting back to the Bible when we come to a definition of the gospel and thinking of it in its broadest context. Um, and to that end, we had uh, Philippians 1 and 21 as the key verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the gospel is, is a way of life and a journey, uh, not just a statement on how to be saved. Um, last week, we were uh, moving on to chapter 2. Um, chapter 2, obviously, the first thing that springs to our mind in chapter 2 is uh, verses 6 to 11 speaking of the um, stoop that the Lord Jesus made. But really the whole context of that wonderful um, statement about the, the grace of the Lord Jesus is in the context of helping us understand how our attitude should be in order that we can be effective as disciples of the Lord Jesus serving together in a church of God. So our key message was how to keep together and serve together in a church of God. And the key verse being, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So having explored that uh, last week, it co we come to our um, third in a series of five. And you might think, well, I thought this was the last one. Well, it is. Uh, I just kind of felt that... Um, there's more to Philippians than just this series of four and I would encourage us to look at the last two independently. We can revisit those perhaps uh, in another ministry, a couple of ministry sessions that I might do independent of this series. I should uh, draw your attention to the questions. Uh, I mixed them up unfortunately. So the questions, the two questions under um, section three belong in section four and they need to be switched back. So sorry about that, I'm sure you've noticed it already. Um, I would also say about the questions, as Gid said, we, we have a foundation of questions for our discussion tonight. But um, to be honest, I'm more interested in your questions um, that you may have come up with as we've um, gone through our study. So moving to chapter three, um, and I, I decided to give you the, the punchline up front um, and then we'll read the passage together so you can be looking out for 
um, what seems to me to be the um, key message in the first half of chapter 3. It's how to grow spiritually. Um, and the key verse is, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Before we get into the um, verse itself, I just want us to reflect again on the Apostle Paul, five years since he's seen his friends in Philippi. He's got <coughs> Timothy and Epaphroditus with him. Um, he's received a gift from Epaphroditus, sorry, via Epaphroditus from his friends in Philippi because they recognize his need. Um, and this is him committing in writing uh, greetings, thoughts, encouragement, thanks, all of that stuff to be hand-carried back to them um, by Epaphroditus. Having introduced his message with a celebration of the breadth and depth of the gospel, um, he's now reflecting on them as a church and all of the things that he knows about their character and personalities and no doubt all the things that Epaphroditus will have shared with him and he's encouraging them to have the right attitude. Um, there were some in the church, as we'll see when we get to chapter 4, that had an attitude problem. And what's he now focused on? So his real concern is that those that he was so instrumental in bringing to the Lord and establishing in the church of God in Philippi could demonstrate spiritual progress. You'll notice in the, uh, in the chart, it talks about spiritual milestones. I, um, I changed that because a milestone is kind of a, a digital thing. You kind of get to it and then you stop and move on. I think, I think spiritual development is analog. It's kind of an ongoing thing, it's progress. It's great to look back and see milestones and I'll maybe share a couple of my spiritual milestones with you. But um, in reality, um, we're talking about spiritual progress, which is uh, an ongoing thing. So Paul, in anticipation, you can, can imagine him in his mind, remembering what they look like, remembering how they interact with each other, remembering the fellowship times he had, their hospitality, the ministry, their teaching, their response to it, all kinds of things. And he's saying to himself, I really hope that they're making progress in their spiritual lives. Um, so we'll turn to chapter 3 and we'll read the first 16 verses. Um, but before we go there, you can kind of get your finger in that passage, but um, I wanted to share with you up front what I think the key points are from our pitch today. And there are four of them. And like I said last week, they're fairly carefully crafted to try and um, get as much out of what I'm trying to say as possible. And for me, writing it down um, is very helpful to do that. So here's the four. Spiritual progress and a desire for more of it should characterize every individual in a church of God. So this is relevant to all of us, whatever our age circumstances. And a kind of sub-bullet is this should be the aspiration and preoccupation of the overseers. So there's a, a message to overseers in this passage too. Um, their desire should be that individuals in the church are demonstrating spiritual progress. That's the first point. 
The second is spiritual progress is measurable. It's a thrilling, lifelong journey that is different for each of us, but there should be evidence of it in everyone all the time. Kind of a, a big statement, very ambitious statement, but I do feel that's embedded in the passage that we'll read today. Philippians 3 is about spiritual or Christian maturity. So it begs the question, what does that look like? Here you go. Increasing spiritual maturity is characterised by increasing confidence. That's confidence in where I am and what I'm doing. Uh, Increasing knowledge. That's facts and understanding them. Increasing power. That's power over sin and power in service increasing love for God's people sorry for God his people and the lost increasing (coughs) discipline knowing what's important and giving it a priority increasing courage that's being bold and increasing in faith which is something that pervades all of those things and I've described as the glue that holds it all together and there's a challenge what have we attained and are we living up to it and that relates back to our key verse in um, Philippians 3 and 16 so let's go to the um, passage and read it together maybe you can look out for these you'll see them these themes that pop out it's a, a shorter reading than we've had in the last couple of weeks So Philippians 3 verse 1, finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. 
First thing you note is um, his uh, introduction to the encouragement to his encouragement to them in their spiritual development, and he says, "Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord." Um, I don't know whether you recall, but the way we left chapter two was celebrating the amazing thing that the fellowship is. Um, Paul was sending his handwritten note back to his friends in Philippi via Epaphroditus, who'd been there. He delivered a message. He delivered gifts. He'd been ill. The people in Philippi had learned about it. There was a really great sense of fellowship. And we were reflecting last week on what an amazing community this is. It's small, but there's somehow a huge benefit. We don't want it to be tiny, um, but there's a huge benefit because small, as my wife keeps telling me, is precious. Um, and Paul was appreciating that, and we can appreciate that. And he's kind of thinking, having just uh, mentioned to them Epaphroditus that he's healthy and he's going back with his message, and he says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. You know, and I just think that should be something that pervades our experience of our discipleship, our service together in the Church of God, and um, you know, we should kind of remind ourselves of it. Um, we had a great uh, experience of that last weekend with that as our theme. But let's go through the um, key points. So my first one was spiritual progress and a desire for more of it should characterise every individual in a church of God. And this should be the aspiration and preoccupation of overseers. And I would pull out verses 10 to 13 specifically in support of that key point. And it's Paul saying, I want to know Christ, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. It's uh, often we kind of think of Paul as um, kind of the best uh, example of a disciple. And actually, I'm sure that's true. But a key thing for me from this is that even Paul in his own mind hadn't arrived. And he's making it clear that this is a, a journey that he's on, um, albeit pretty advanced. You know, he's kind of, can we say, in the A stream or something. But, um, and, and it's his whole life. And he's continuing to strive. And there's a, a very clear conviction that Paul wanted to continue to develop. And I just kind of think, well, if that's Paul's aspiration, how much more should mine be to um, be growing spiritually and enjoying um, my spiritual life? I was very arrested by this expression. Um, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In an older version, it says apprehend. And for me, apprehend is um, what a policeman does when he arrests somebody. <laughs> he apprehends them. And, um, you know, there's a certain physical implication about it. It's about grabbing hold of something. If you, 
If you look up Strong's, it says, to seize upon, to take possession of, to make one's own. Um, one of the cool things about having the Bible on your iPad is you can, you can click on that Strong's definition and see where else it, it appears. And the first time it appears in the New Testament, or only in the New Testament being Greek, is Mark 9, verse 8, which says, A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And the word is, it seizes him. So, a very graphic picture of... Um, a poor little lad who's suddenly taken hold of by this evil spirit and it's very evident uh, almost violent in its uh, orientation Paul uses the word um, to describe how he is embracing his spiritual development and it's like I'm taking hold of this like there's nothing else I've got room to take hold of um, but He's actually saying, I took hold of this in the same way as Christ took hold of me. And for me, that's a, there's a few examples of this uh, in the Gospels and in the, in the Epistles, where Jesus is the, and his approach to something is the benchmark. Um, either Jesus to us or the Father. Um, for example, um, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And it's almost like there is a, a, a very high benchmark, and that's the standard. And Paul is saying here, with the same degree of passion, commitment, um, uncompromising uh, conviction, that the Lord took hold of me and saved me, um, and again, it's not just salvation from the penalty of sin, which so often we'd limit it to, but it's salvation of my life so it can be transformed into something else. With that same grip and conviction, I want to take hold of what he's given me with the same level uh, of, of passion. It's a real challenge. Um, you know, do, do people observe that this is the most important thing to me. Do they observe that about you? And the verses preceding the ones we've got on the screen um, talk about how everything else is rubbish in Paul's mind compared to um, what he has taken hold of. Here's a good word, reciprocity. <laughs> you get a bit of reciprocity going on. The Lord has taken hold of me and I reciprocate by taking hold of him. And there's the motivation in there. Why would we do it? Well, because we appreciate the transformation that he's achieved in our lives. So what, what about this sub-bullet? This um, should be a preoccupation of the overseers. The preoccupation being that the people in the assembly, under their care and themselves, are, um, have an appetite for spiritual progress. If you go to chapter 4, verse 1, which again, there's these link verses that, that uh, link from one subject to another. And um, here's a link verse that Paul uses. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. The bit we'll miss out today between um, our 
exposition about spiritual development and progress and his statement about his feelings in verse verse 1 of chapter 4 is our heavenly citizenship. So Paul has his sights on eternity, not on um, the here and now from his own personal point of view. Um, But when he's considering all of these things, he makes this real statement of affection. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. The study of crowns is quite interesting, and I think there are five or six mentioned, and one of them is seemingly associated with the responsibility of an overseer. Um, That's kind of challenging for us to think about. Um, But it seems Paul was saying that uh, his friends in Philippi and the effectiveness as a church of God, the quality of the love and spiritual development, he takes as a measure of his own personal satisfaction. And I just share with fellow elders, you know, to what extent um, do we look at the disciples that the Lord has graciously given us to care for? To what extent do we see their development as our responsibility? Some very strong uh, um, expressions, full of, of kind of emphasis. Um, he describes them as those he longs for, my joy and my crown. Um, do we consider those God has given us in that context? Um, as an overseer, and those of other overseers around me, we know the the burden of care that we share for people in the church. Um, I just like to emphasize that every individual in the church is a burden for the overseers. We pray about you, we review um, circumstances, we try to understand need and respond. Isn't it a shame perhaps that sometimes that doesn't come across and that's to our shame? But I would just encourage fellow saints to um, know that you're on your overseer's hearts. And um, maybe, you know, knowing that, if there's something that we can help with that we don't necessarily know about, then perhaps an approach might be appropriate. That's your call. But certainly, I think the verse supports the fact that in Paul's world, um, the, develop, the spiritual development of his friends in Philippi was an aspiration and a preoccupation of his. Our second point, spiritual progress is measurable. It is a thrilling, lifelong journey that is different for each of us, but there should be evidence of it in everyone all the time. Philippians 1 and 25 was a verse that David used, David Woods used in his ministry at 242 last weekend to introduce this concept of joy being measurable. And I was kind of quite intrigued with that. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy 
in the faith. Progress is measurable. If you, and I think this is the point David is coming to, and it really appeals to me as someone who's spent his career measuring things um, and still do, maybe in a, in a different way. We'll come to that in a second. But progress is about um, going beyond where you're currently at. Um, and David was talking about that in the context of joy. You know, we kind of think we're either joyful or we're not. Um, but we don't really think of it as getting uh, an appreciation of, of God and his love for us that's independent of our circumstances that means we enjoy more and more of him. And it's not you know, being a high and then a low, it's progressive. To try and illustrate it and forgive another um, kind of Stevie business illustration, but you see a load of squiggles. We invented something called um, a bookings index, and it's um, bookings are orders. Um, an ADC is a is a sales channel, so these are not our own salespeople. This is a little independent company that buys our product and sells it some to someone else. And we've got seven of them, and they're all different. Some of them do many millions of pounds business. Some do a few hundred thousand. And what we try and do over time is measure their effectiveness, not necessarily relative to each other, but relative to their starting point. So at the beginning of the graph, everyone is kind of put to zero. So let's say you're, I don't know, doing 10 million or something. So that's your benchmark. And then what we do every month is plot whether they're going ahead or behind of their own benchmark. And you get a sense, and then we share it with them, and then you get a sense of whether they're making progress. And it's a, a continual thing, and it's different for each one. They're all on the same graph, but it's, it's, a, it's relative to their own position, not relative to each other. And I think that's a really helpful thing to think about. My spiritual progress, because I'm coming at a different starting point than the next person, will be different. It's kind of curious. The one that's doing really well, only one out of the six is doing well, is Northern Ireland. That's really sad. Um, but it also happens to be the smaller. So you get, you get the kind of point that if our spiritual progress, I mean, if it's possible to progress spiritually, which is the whole theme of Paul's uh, message here, then it's measurable. And we should be able to observe in our own experience that we're making progress. And those around us should uh, be able to do the same. I wanted also, under this key point, to reference... Um, Another aspect in Paul's argument, going to verse 14. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. My thought there is our progress can be uh, restricted by our history sometimes. The original title was Spiritual Milestones, and it is great to look back on spiritual highs and take encouragement from them but looking back can also be quite negative because um, often we fail and often we can get disillusioned because sin gets the better of us and we should celebrate the fact that our sins are forgiven and he's righteous and just and can continue to do that if we confess 
but we should move forward. It's really interesting that this comes from Paul, who had so much to celebrate. So much of his past, post the road to Damascus, was positive. And yet he still seemed to be thinking, I'm going to park that. Because, you know, the benchmark is future development. It's not staying on a plateau. And for me, that, again, supports the argument that... um, spiritual progress should be evident in all our lives. I don't know whether you've reflected on your own spiritual progress. It's a real challenge. You're, you're the best um, judge of whether you feel you're making progress. Um, and our next points will, I think, help us to think what progress looks like. So, um, increasing spiritual maturity is characterised by increasing confidence in where I am and what I'm doing. And we'll kind of go through each of these (coughs) points. Paul's saying, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Um, Clearly there were some in Philippi, uh, probably some in Rome as well, that was influencing his thoughts. Um, Some back in Jerusalem maybe, who were still fixated with Jewish custom, circumcision, that's why that gets a reference here, I believe. And Paul um, is saying that um, our confidence is not in our adherence to the law as it was. Our confidence is in um, the Lord Jesus, what he's done for us. It begs a question in my mind, Uh, as a a spiritually, as someone who aspires to be developing spiritually, how confident am I? How confident in in where I am? By that I mean my position in a church of God. Is that something I can articulate from scripture and demonstrate to others that it's for sure where I know God wants me to be? How confident am I that I'm doing in the church what God wants me to do? These are real challenging things, and I just encourage us all to um, think of those. The next thing that should be increasing is knowledge, which is, I've said, facts and understanding them. The, the verse is our key verse. This crops up over and over again. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. It's one of those chapter 3, verse 16s. Um, there's a few of them... Um, But this is a statement about each of us examining um, how we're getting on with our progress. Question. From a... Let's let's limit this to understanding of doctrine. You might think, well, that's a bit dry, perhaps. But it's actually the stuff of what the Lord has called us into. What have we attained... That's what have we got under our belt in terms of our understanding of doctrine and being able to uh, trace it from scripture. um, Salvation by grace through faith. I think maybe we've all kind of got that sussed and can demonstrate that if we were ever challenged. Eternal security. (coughs) Believer's baptism. New Testament pattern for united churches of God with a united elderhood together forming the house of God. Church constitution. The remembrance and other meetings, a closed table, 
the role of women, their silence, their head coverings, divorce and remarriage, homosexuality. You know, these things are core to our Bible-based belief and practice. And what I'm suggesting here is part of spiritual maturity is having a knowledge and understanding of these things and um, being able to not necessarily articulate them by standing up and, and kind of preaching a message or teaching, but certainly have a conviction about them. One of the things that I find quite sad, and you know, it, 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 it reflects back on those of us who teach, sometimes you get the same old issue revisited by the same people over and over again. Um, let's say, just take an example, the closed table. And it, it's as though um, they've never attained that truth. They've never got it under their belt. Maybe at one point they were convicted by it and then it's kind of gone and they kind of slip back. I think what Paul is saying and this truth about spiritual development and maturity is we should be continually making progress and getting these truths and convictions under our belt. So um, just a, a list of things under attainment. And again, the challenge comes back and we'll, we'll hit it at the end of the message as well. Um, just thinking in our own minds, where are we? What have we attained? Where are we up to? My emphasis there was uh, examples in doctrine, but I think there's also, that's our positional truth, there's also what we've attained can, uh, in terms of our spiritual condition as well. Perhaps that's more governed by life circumstances when we go through highs and lows, but uh, again, there's a, uh, an importance of being able to demonstrate ongoing development. I lumped the, uh, the, other, the next three together, Power, love, and discipline. I think if you look out for them, they are in Philippians chapter 3. I've talked about um, power over sin and power in service. Uh, talked about um, love for God, his people, and the lost. And the discipline, that's knowing what's important and giving it priority. I can remember early on discovering... Uh, 2 Peter 1 and 7, sorry, 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. These are all linked together. Let's talk about self-discipline first. How do we get knowledge? How do we get confidence? It's in a disciplined way, being able to immerse ourselves in God's word. Those of us who follow every day with Jesus, uh, if you had the chance to read it today, I was fascinated to see how relevant today's message was um, from Selwyn Hughes. I'll read it to you. And it's, um, it's entitled Reverent Listening. And he refers us back to Matthew 6, 1 to 15, which is the Lord teaching his disciples to pray. And he says, another spiritual principle we need to understand if we are to be men and women with inner spiritual strength is the need to cultivate a daily quiet time, the time we set aside daily to be with God. Some people talk about building sacred spaces in secular society, 
Whatever surroundings you choose, it's about being with God without distractions. In the months following my conversion to Christ, I noticed as I mixed with other Christians that some seemed calmer than others, more restful, more at peace, and they exuded an air of deep spiritual maturity. As I questioned them about this, I discovered the common denominator that they was that they all prioritised quiet time. One of them made this comment, those who say they can live in a state of prayer without definite times of prayer will probably find themselves without both. They are as short-sighted as those who say they can live in a state of physical nourishment without stated times for meals. <coughs> Emily Herman has called quiet time that tender and reverent listening at the feet of wisdom, capital W, which is the true and acceptable idleness. It is an idleness that results in renewed activity. You become alive all over. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal, in his book, I believe it means thoughts, concluded, nearly all the ills of life spring from the simple source that we are not able to sit still in a room. But what if in the stillness we met with God? How healing that would be, James Russell Lowell wrote. In the chosen soul could never be alone, sorry, if the chosen soul could never be alone, in deep mid-silence, open door to God, no greatness can ever be dreamed or done. The nurse of full-grown souls is solitude. Um, it just very encouraging when you have something that you think the Lord's given you and it's kind of confirmed by your daily reading. Someone's called it practicing the presence of God. And my point here under discipline and power and love is there is no substitute for that habit of uh, finding a, um, a place every day where we can be with God. Selwyn Hughes has been talking about prayer and one of the things that I found very helpful, he says, is the experience of prayer is different for every person. And you kind of look through the scriptures and think of Daniel and, and others and think, well, there's the benchmark that I have to follow. Well, actually, prayer is something for me to discover and it's, it's how I effectively appreciate God with him. And I would just encourage us all to recognize the importance. We're talking about our spiritual maturity, the importance of having a quiet time. There is no substitute for it. I'm very blessed in our house to have my own little uh, den. Some of you have seen it recently. We just decorated it. And I kind of sit there and th you know, thank the Lord. It's great to have this place of escape. Um, and I don't use it enough. You know, I struggle with discipline along uh, with the best of us. But I would just encourage us to find our space and commit to listening to God there. Moving on, um, another defining characteristic of a mature disciple is courage. Um, I think it was Ian that last, in, the, in one fairly recent ministry, shared this verse with us from Acts 4 and 13, which is uh, very powerful. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There's so much in it about how ordinary people can be turned into extraordinary 
servant of God. And one of the things that was uh, noticed particularly was their um, courage, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. Um, are we bold? That's a, that's a challenge. <coughs> and finally, um, saying that faith is the spiritual glue that holds it all together. And if we go to verses 8 and 9 of Philippians 3, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I've used this illustration before, uh, but it, it had an impact on me. Maybe it'll continue to have an impact on you. I can remember um, going back probably to my early 20s when my dad used to run a Bible class in Liverpool and it was a very kind of informal open question time and it was Uncle Jim do you ever doubt and he reflected and said actually no I don't I used to but I don't anymore and I think a consequence of a life committed to the Lord to service knowing the presence of God knowing that you're where he wants you to be knowing that you're doing what he wants you to do it has a tremendous impact on our faith our faith gets stronger as it's tested. And the more it's tested and we demonstrate faith in God and he delivers for us, then the more um, it continues to grow. And I just think that all of these characteristics of a mature disciple are underpinned by an immovable, unconditional in some respects to our own circumstances, faith. It's the glue that binds them all together. And our final point, um, a challenge is, what have we attained and are we living up to it? And it goes back to our Philippians 3 and 16. I'd just like to leave that with us. We're all, think of the, the curly graph, we're all at different stages. If we kind of normalise that and think of me where I am now relative to where I was last year. Or, as Paul says, let's press on and look to, look to the future What's my aspiration to the future? Is it, the, is it to be able to demonstrate spiritual development? That is me attaining more in my knowledge, attaining more in my relationship and appreciation with the Lord and living up to it. So there you have it.